I hope you're doing well this morning. Merry Christmas, everyone. I'm going to ask for any of our Kairos uh, volunteers to come on up on stage with me and Jim. Uh, I want you to, uh, most of you know this man standing uh, to my right and to your left. His name is Jim Daniel, and Jim is one of our elders here at Hilton Head Island Community Church, a good friend of ours, and uh, has been uh, attending for many years. And um, Jim, uh, Jim and Beverly are very involved in the life of our church. One of the things that Jim is uh, heavily involved in is the ministry called Kairos. And so why don't you give it up for Jim and these volunteers from Kairos. Come on, step up, guys. Awesome. Um, I want you to hear over these past few weeks, we've kind of talked a little bit about different ministries and different partners that we're involved with. And um, we're also kind of like, uh, you know, putting a bit of our, you know, money where our mouth is in terms of giving and being lavish about giving. And so we've given our partners a little extra at Christmas. And uh, uh, we've kind of picked four partners for each of these weeks. And so we set aside uh, $2,500 for ESL. Um, let's see, we gave uh, Sandalwood uh, $5,000 uh, just last week. We, we did that. Um, we've been involved in a lot of in Backpack Buddies. We gave $5,000 two weeks ago. And so today, I want to talk a little bit about Kairos, but Jim, tell us a little bit about, they don't know, if our church doesn't know, tell us a little bit about what Kairos does and what the mission of Kairos is. Sure. Thanks, Todd. Kairos is a uh, prison ministry. Uh, we work in South Carolina and all the prisons that are in South Carolina. Uh, our church uh, particularly is involved with the uh, Ridgeland uh, prison up in Ridgeland. Uh, basically, Kairos is started in 1948 under a, a um, organization called Crescio. Kairos in, it, in itself, if you look at Greek, it's a Greek word. There's two words for time in Greek. One is chronos, which means what time it is. And, and there's kairos, which is special time. And we look at this as God's special time. So when we go into a prison, um, we work with anywhere from 36 to 42 prisoners um, that are selected by the warden and the, and the prison chaplain who select these prisoners for us to work with. And our job, basically, when we go in there is to show them the love of Christ in this prison for people who... A lot of times we find, feel that they've been totally forgotten and written off once they're in prison. And um, so that's the mission of what we do, just to love on them a little bit. And, and you guys do this a couple times a year uh, there yes. in, in Ridgeland. Um, what, what happens on that weekend? Like, just give us a, just a snapshot of what happens. You guys go into the prisons and, and you know, how, how does that work? Because... For, for all of us, we might have a picture in mind of what that may be like, and it may not be a good picture. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's certainly organized and, and scheduled. It's Tell certainly organized. It has to be organized. When you're going to a prison, it's, um, you know, it, it's, you, can, you can equate it to going on a missions trip, but it's a little bit different than a normal <laughs> missions trip. <laughs> they don't have bars, and they don't, lock, they don't have guards walking beside you when you go on a missions trip. The... Uh, but when we go into the prison, we spend, um, it's a three-day weekend. We go in on a Thursday, and we're there through Sunday. Basically, what happens when we're in there, um, the first thing I'll talk about is Cynthia Cullen has said 
I've heard her say oh, many times, if you want to do ministry and have people participate, feed them. Mm. Bring some food. Mm. Yep. <laughs> so true. we do that. Yep. We mm. bring in all the food, um, starting with cookies. Mm. And this church has been extremely generous in helping us with that. We bring in probably one to 200 dozen cookies when we go in there because these guys <laughs> don't get cookies in church. And that's so just from this cookies. church. That's just from this church. Oh, yeah. It's incredible. Did. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. It is incredible. And mm -hmm. we appreciate that, and we hope you continue because we're going to be doing this again in April, but you'll see more about that. But when we go in there, we are now spending time with these incarcerated people, helping them, mm -hmm. talking with them about a number of things, um, about life, about the choices that they've made, about relationships, how, how God loves them, and we show them um, through the process, through these three days, um, what the love of Christ looks like. Mm -hmm. At the end of the three days, we have a, what we call a closing ceremony. And in that closing ceremony, um, we give the people who participated in the program the opportunity to get up and talk about what it meant to them and what they got out of this. Uh, I can tell you that it is probably one of the most rewarding um, ministries that I've ever been involved with. Um, you see people whose lives change, who think they have no hope while they're in there. And they're very suspicious when we first come in <laughs> as to what do we want, what are we after them for. Um, but by the, like I said, our goal, our motto is listen, listen, love, love. We spend a lot of time listening to them, talking to them, um, and just showing them the love of Christ. I can't imagine, uh, like, if our motto just in life were listen, listen, love, love, man. That is a great, great <laughs> motto. Um, and um, I know that, Jim, we've, we've got a, a bunch of volunteers. By the way, um, you guys are going back in. Um, so I guess, you know, yep. you start you start your next term starts in April, right? Uh, so yep. you guys begin in April. Um, and back in the fall, you guys were in Ridgeland. And I know you had some great spiritual results. Tell us about that. Oh, gosh. Um, we actually had, it was, it was, we had people except Christ who, who made a, made a commitment to follow Jesus while we were there, mm -hmm. uh, which is unusual, yeah. um, that they would make that commitment right there in front of the entire group. Yeah. But that was extremely, um, just gratifying. And we thank the Lord for that. One of the things about Kairos is you realize once you go in um, that it is God's time, mm. that God is in control of that. There are, there are a lot of things that go on. I talk about the, the program itself. There's a lot of background things that go on. Um, we have a lot of probably about 50 volunteers. Um, and Steve and Scott, who were up here, um, also volunteer, and we work in, in a lot of different capacities inside the prison. Um, we have people who, who work, who don't, you never see their face in the prison, the prisoners never see them. Um, we have men and women who volunteer um, because, like I said, we bring in all the food. So there are people who are preparing the food, there are people who are bringing it in. It's amazing. Um, there, it's a, we run with about 50 volunteers for each Kairos uh, weekend, uh, we don't just and we don't just 
get up one morning and go into the prison. <laughs> that does not happen <laughs> that, anywhere, man. <laughs> no. We have, um, there's a lot of training. Yeah. We do five weeks of training um, with all the volunteers because a big part of what we need to do is not only um, build the team, but also get spiritually prepared for being there. Yeah. So we spend uh, quite a bit of about five weeks just getting ready yep. to go into the mm -hmm. prison. Um, and then inside, there are a lot of, like I said, a lot of different roles that occur. I love it. Um, I'm so excited about what uh, God is doing through Kairos around the world. And by the way, if you, you know, Jim's one of our elders, Steve to my left is one of our elders. Uh, right now we have four elders total at Hilton Head Island Community Church, including me. So if you don't see them on a Sunday, just know that they're in jail. It's okay. All right. So anyway, um, hey, and, and then Scott Smith, man, what a huge, huge help they are. And by the way, um, their wives are involved too um, in, in a huge way behind the scenes so many people involved as Jim said 50 people and I believe the number that I heard last time was is that 24 people accepted Christ last time that they went at, to Kairos and man I'm just that's so exciting uh, really got my attention that that many people um, chose to believe um, there at Regen and so we want to present to you Jim and you can present this to uh, the leaders at Kairos a uh, special gift over and above what we normally do throughout the year for $5,000 to Kairos oh, wow. here in Ridgeland prison so thank you Thank you very much. Awesome, man. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Why don't you give it up for Jim and for Steve and for Scott this morning. Thank you, guys, for all that you do. And as a shameless plug, anybody who wants to volunteer, we are still looking for volunteers. I'd love to have you. Talk to any of us. We'll get you signed up. <laughs> awesome, Jim. Thanks, man. Don't walk off the edge of the stage, man. All right. <laughs> I'm so excited. Jesus talks about us working uh, with those who are in prison. Um, throughout the Gospels. And man, I'm so excited that we have the outlet of Kairos. I'm thankful to these um, guys, these volunteers. And as Jim said, if you're interested in volunteering behind the scenes or um, for the actual event coming up in April, I know that he would love to see you and love to be with you. I think it's ironic that during the Christmas season, we do everything in our culture to focus our attention on Jesus. I think that sometimes gets lost on all the stuff, right? Everywhere you go, everything that you see, you see the lights, you see the trees, you see everything, you see all the bows and the presents, and all of it is kind of in place to point our attention to Jesus. And the irony is, is that Jesus gets lost on us during the Christmas season. In our efforts to put all of our focus on Jesus, sometimes Jesus gets lost. We lose focus on him. And so this morning, I don't know about you, I definitely have kind of been susceptible to that this year, it seems like more than others. So before we dive into today's message, would you join me in a word of prayer? And let's ask for God to get us focused on the real reason for the Christmas season, and that's his son, Jesus. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, thank you. Thank you that we have the opportunity to worship you, that we have the opportunity to thank you for what you did by sending your son to this world. And God, let us not forget the fact that you decided to come to earth, as we've sang this morning, Emmanuel, God with us. God, help us to be focused not on all the stuff that goes on. God, help us to not put you on the shelf, 
during these last few days leading up to the celebration of your birth, but God, may we be focused on you and what you did by coming to this world to die for our sins. I pray now that you would lead us and guide us as we study your word, as we take a look at your earthly mom. God, I pray that you would lead us, that your Holy Spirit would guide, that you would convict, that you would challenge, that you would encourage. God, may you be high and lifted up this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, this is our final message in a series that we have entitled, uh, To Me, From Me, To Me, From Me. And we've talked about the fact that our focus typically at Christmas is a little bit self-centered. It's a little bit selfish. How many of you have been shopping and maybe bought a few presents for yourself? You've kind of tucked a few away for you. We kind of, you know, maybe save that little last little bit of pie for us. You know, we kind of hide it maybe in the back of the refrigerator. Any of you ever use the back of the refrigerator? You got to have like four gallons of milk, but it works. All right. So anyway, I'd highly recommend that. Uh, but I want to talk about uh, throughout this series what it means to get our eyes off of us and watch what God does as a result. He did amazing things when his people followed him in obedience. And so far, we've taken a look at what God did with Ruth's kindness to set the stage for Jesus to come generations prior to his coming. God used Joseph of Nazareth's humility to pave the way for Jesus' birth, the earthly father of Jesus. He used John the Baptist's willingness to give up his own potential greatness, to set the stage for the greatness of Jesus, of God's Son. And today I want to take a look at Mary, the mother of Jesus. And we'll use that phrase, Mary, the mother of Jesus. But in today's culture, what do we normally call that person in our lives that's our mother? What do we normally call her? You can say it together. Mom. We normally call her. Mom. She's mom. She's mom. And so today I'm going to refer to Mary, the mother of Jesus, as mom. And I realize it may make some of you uncomfortable, and that's okay because there's, I think there's a reason why. You see, for the longest time, the church kind of promoted Mary almost to deity and perhaps in our kind of culture, we've kind of, and in doing so, we kind of made her a far off like character in the story and the narrative of God sending Jesus into the world. And then there's our response where we've like demoted her to kind of someone that's way in the background. And I think either way that we've treated Jesus's mom throughout the course of, of the church's history, what we've done is we've kind of distanced this woman into the background. And I think what, by in doing so, what we've done is we've kind of relegated her to someone that we don't and can't really truly connect with. In some ways, we think of her as very far removed from like our struggles and our trials and our tribulations. But I gotta tell you that I could argue that there's not a character in the Bible that's more like us than Mary the mom of Jesus. There may not be a character who felt humanity more deeply than Jesus's mom. 
She's someone that just kind of oozes this kind of angst, this struggle between like, you know, the divine and what was going on with God and man and him sending Jesus and having to deal with her own like nature as a mom. That is intensely human. And if we really think about it, she should be one of the characters that we most can relate to. One of the characters throughout scripture that we can most understand. And I hope today, my prayer today is, is that you and I would understand something from Mary's life, from the mom of Jesus that maybe we can connect with and understand. And my prayer is, is that it might be something that would help us to turn this idea that Christmas is all about me to really it being all about him and all about others. And so today we're gonna to look at Luke chapter one and Luke chapter two today. Um, this is the uh, situation in Luke. We took a look last week at the birth of um, this man by the name of John the Baptist. Today we're gonna to be taking a look at the birth of Jesus. Luke chapter one, let's start reading this morning. Verse 26 says this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he, the angel, came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled. I love all of these moments in the, the narrative of Jesus, of God sending his son to, the, to this world of Jesus' birth, where an angel appears and they're filled with fear. And, and I think that like we would be beyond filled with fear. We would be like end up in the hospital if something, you know, if an angel came to visit us today. I promise you that's what would happen. But she was greatly troubled at the saying. I want you to think about that for a moment. She was greatly troubled at the saying that Gabriel said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. He hasn't even gotten to the news yet, has he? She's even bothered. She's even troubled by the greeting itself. She was greatly troubled at the greetings, uh, at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid. I want you to say that phrase with me. Do not be afraid, Mary, for I have found favor, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Now let's stop there for a second. Can you imagine what Mary, the mom of Jesus, is going through at this moment? She's engaged. All of a sudden, she finds out that she is the one that's going to carry the Messiah. An angel has come to visit her. I'm sure that she's like, what is going on here? Like, I'm having a dream that is beyond any dream that I've had before. Look at verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. 
completely putting her at ease, I'm sure. <laughs> and behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old, old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, uh, with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. By the way, when you hear that phrase, and you probably hear it a lot, you may even hear it from a secular standpoint, you might hear it from the world, the world even says that sometimes, that with God, all things are possible, there's nothing impossible with God, that's where it comes from. It comes from when Mary was wondering, how is this going to take place? And the angel says, Elizabeth is now going to bear a son, and she was barren. So nothing, nothing is impossible for God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So much there. So much there. But I want to focus on a couple things that the angel said. And I want to focus a little bit on Mary, the mom of Jesus, and her response. Look at Luke 1.28. And he came to her and he says, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. It's interesting, this word favor in the original language, there were several different words in the original language for the word favor. And, and, and there are twice, two, two times here, that the angel refers to Mary as being favored. In fact, the second one comes in verse 30. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. But the angel uses two different words for the, same, for the word favored here. And they mean slightly different things. The first one in verse 28 says it, it, it basically is highly favored. In fact, your translation may actually have that there if you're reading from a different translation than the uh, uh, English Standard Version. Um, it might say highly favored, and that's what it means. It means highly favored or to endue with special honor. And so the angel here is saying to Mary, you are someone that God has given a special honor to. You're someone that has the honor of God on your life. The second one in verse 30 is a different word, and it means graciousness of manner or action. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have graciousness of manner or action with God. And I wonder if one of those things doesn't kind of have an influence on the other. Like God looks at our lives and he, the ones that he chooses to do a great work with are people who may be gracious of manner and action in his eyes. And this word honor is something, the honor of God, I hear that a lot. Like people will say, you know, I, I wonder if God's anointing or I wonder if God has, has given me honor. And I think that we have a view of what we think honor might be. But, but I got to tell you, there's a synonym that's used in Ephesians for this word honor, the one that means to endue a special blessing upon. And I want to read that from the message from Ephesians. This is Paul speaking, verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. And I'm reading it from the message because I think it makes more sense in the context of what we're talking about here. Here's what, here's what Paul, inspired by God's Holy Spirit, says to the church in Ephesus and to us 
today. How blessed is God and what a blessing he is. He's the father of our master, Jesus Christ, and takes us to the high places of blessing in him. Long before he laid down the earth's foundation, he had us in mind, had settled on us as the focus of his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift giving by the hand of his beloved son. Now Paul is speaking about the special blessing that we have as followers of God, as people who have decided to accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. And so here's what I want to say this morning to you. When you hear that word, favor, I want you to know that if you are a Christ follower, if you've accepted him as your Savior, you have favor. He has adopted you into the family of his own. He's taken you in, he's made you an heir, and you have favor. As Christ followers, we, like Mary, are also favored by God. But I think the problem is, is our view of favored. Like the problem is the tension that we have, where we get it spiritually wrong, is that we have a skewed view of what favor is. I'm admitting to you when I've heard people say that, like they've said, oh, Todd, when I was like a teenager and that sort of thing in you know, college, um, people usually don't say this stuff much past about 20 or 25 years old. They're like, hey, you know, God's got his hand on you, man. You're favored. And here's what I thought it meant. I thought that favor meant what we all think it means, and that is, is like position or privilege or entitlement, my favorite word in the world, um, or status or perhaps wealth. And favor does not mean privilege. It does not mean privilege in the sense that we are entitled to a privilege. Yes, we have spiritual blessings that come from God as being a part of the family of God. We have massive spiritual blessings. We are favored in that sense, but those are, those are things that God gives us. But I want you to hear today that when we have the favor of God on our lives, it means that we are going to face challenges in life. Favor doesn't necessarily mean privilege. Favor may mean rejection by the world, condemnation by the world, sacrifice that we have, service, suffering. Favor means Adversity. How many of you have ever faced adversity in your life? Raise your hand this morning. Any of you faced adversity in your life? All right. If you didn't, you, there's a special place for you, and you can start your own small group and church and have fun. Okay, so I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding about that. You see, favor means, it, it, it means that at some point in time, we are going to face adversity. It means that we are going to have things that challenge us to the core. It may mean that our loved ones are going to have health issues that come up that are wildly unexpected. 
It may mean that there's a greater strife in a relationship. It may mean that our suffering is going to be something totally different than we thought. Favor means that we are going to have adversity. And Mary, the mom of Jesus, had adversity in her life, didn't she? Yes, she had all the spiritual blessings that went with being a God follower, but she also had adversity. I love Christine Kane, who says, God's favor is for service, not status. Man, that's huge. God's favor is for service, not status. I don't sound as good as she sounds when she says it with her Australian accent, but God's service, God's favor is for service, not for status. Mary, because she was highly favored, had adversity. And I love the challenge of Gabriel, and it's my challenge to you today before we draw a conclusion today. It's my challenge for you today. It's my challenge to me today when we face adversity. It was Gabriel's challenge. What did he tell her in Luke 1, verse 30? The angel said to Mary, the mom of Jesus, the one that God decided that she would be the earthly mother of Jesus, he said, do not be afraid as the rain hits this roof. I want you to say that phrase with me this morning. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And maybe some of you this Christmas season need to take a three by five card or you need to take your computer, you know, your, your, your monitor, um, you know, wallpaper, screensaver. There we go. It took me a minute, but I got there, screensaver. Uh, maybe you guys need to like insert your name where Mary's name is and you need to hear the words that Gabriel spoke because you are also highly favored and you need to hear God say, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid because of the relationship that has gone south. Do not be afraid because of the health issue that you're facing. Do not be afraid because of the finances. And yes, you spent too much money at Christmas, even in the face of financial struggles. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid because your business isn't good, as good as it was a year ago. Do not be afraid because those relatives are coming in for a week. God bless you. Do not be afraid because things at school students don't seem to add up. Do not be afraid because you feel rejected by your family. Do not be afraid in the face of adversity. God's favor is on every Christ follower, and that means that we will face adversity, but facing adversity well means we must resist fear in our lives. I love Luke chapter two, because there's this moment in time when Mary goes to a priest to have Jesus blessed. It was part of the custom in the Jewish tradition, and we find it recorded from the doctor Luke here. He wrote, Luke, he writes in verse 33 through 35, the story of this. And his father and mother, talking about Jesus, his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon, this, this priest, blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall 
and the rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Now, Simeon there wasn't predicting that Mary would literally have a sword pierced through her side, but Simeon was predicting in that moment that she would face challenges, that she would face adversity. And with his birth, Simeon gave Mary a heads up that you're gonna experience some adversity. Think about it for a moment. Mary was the mom of Jesus. You all who have been moms, who have served in the role of a mom, you know what it's like being a mom. You know what it's like having adversity. You know what it's like to fear for your child, helicopter parents, right? I'm one of them, right? Cynthia says, if it were up to her, the kids would have died young without me. And I say that they wouldn't accomplish anything without her because I would have been still hovering over them at, at their, their teenage age now, right? I mean, there's always got to be one in the household that's a helicopter parent. That was me. Yeah, all right. So anyway, there's fear. There's fear that comes along with parenting. Consider some of the adversity and fear that Mary may have faced. There was the pain of carrying and birthing Jesus into the world. She gave birth in Luke 2, 7 to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. I'm sure even in that day and age, in that world, in that culture, Mary would have wanted something better for her newborn son. Right, moms? Right, dads? The pain and the fear of carrying and birthing Jesus into the world There's this anxiety that she faced. We see it in Luke 2:48, <laughs> when Jesus is going into the temple and he ends up teaching those who are supposed to be the teachers and he stays a little bit longer. How many of you who are parents have ever had a child stay out longer than they were supposed to? I have, my hand is raised very high right here, like it's happening in our house sometimes. Anyway, okay, Luke 2, 48. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Can you imagine being like watching this happen right now? And you kind of know the story of what's going on. And you're like, whoa, man, Jesus just got his hand slapped by his mom. Wow, he's in trouble. Why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. Man, that's hard. The anxiety that came when Jesus went missing. There's this story of Jesus and how um, there's this rise of tension with the religious leaders and, and Mary is there in Luke chapter 4, 28 through 30 when they heard all these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him, Jesus, down the cliff. And Mary is right there, but passing through their midst, he went away. The worry, the worry when the establishment's anger grew towards Jesus there's a great story, it's recorded in Mark, where they're, they're in this packed room and, and Jesus is teaching and, and, and Mary and, and, and um, um, some of the relatives of Jesus were there kind of in, in, in the doorway, kind of in the outskirts, and they hear Jesus 
um, when someone says, where are your parents? Where's your family? And Jesus says in Mark 3:35, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. I'm sure Mary was like, what? Wait a minute, really? Like, who are we? The loss that she faced when Jesus' mission went beyond the immediate family. And then, of course, the greatest pain that she faced. We forget sometimes that the mom of Jesus was there when he was born, but she was there as he died. She was there as he died on the cross. John records it, John 19, 25 through 27, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Behold your son. One of the seven words of Christ from the cross was directly, directly, Related to his mom. I'm your son. I am your son. Then he said to the disciple, talking about John, behold, your mother. And he instructed John to take care of Mary. That was how deep his love was for his mom. The devastation of watching Jesus die on the cross. You talk about fear, worry, and anxiety, and fear. No wonder no wonder Gabriel's message to her was fear not. In church, in the face of adversity, if we want to be people who do amazing things for God, we've got to have the resilience of Mary. Or when Lutzer, in his book, Cries from the Cross, he wrote these words. And I love these words. I think they help us understand how Jesus' mom might have felt as she watched her son die. He said this, she who had planted kisses on the brow of that little child now saw that brow crowned with thorns. She who held those little hands as he learned to walk now saw those hands pierced with nails. She who had cradled him in her arms now saw him writhing alone on the garbage dump of Jerusalem. She who loved him at birth came to love him even more in his death. And I wonder if Mary, at the foot of that cross that day, as she watched the Savior of the world, the Messiah that she herself had given birth to and raised along with Joseph and taken to the temple and worried about when he was in the temple and lost and wondering where in the world he had been and when the establishment was rising up against him. I wonder if those words of Gabriel echoed in her mind and in her heart. Fear not. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Yes, there's adversity, but don't be afraid. Listen, Christ follower, I want you to hear today that you are favored. You are favored. You are favored. There's a high calling for us. We talk about it all the time. There's a high calling for those who are in the family of God to share the good news to accept that we are favored, to embrace the adversity that comes along with it. 
in whatever way it comes. And so my encouragement to you today before we tie this all up is to fear not. You're favored. You will face adversity. And so stand strong on the promises of God. Stand strong on the words that Gabriel gave Mary to fear not in the face of your greatest enemy, your biggest challenge, your most desperate day of adversity. And God will use your ability to stand strong to pave the way for the next thing that he is doing in the kingdom. Listen, listen, lavish giving to others means fully embracing the adversity that comes with God's favor. We may not like it. We may not necessarily want to realize that. I know there are days that I despise that that's the way that it is. With God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. And Mary, the mom of Jesus, is one of the, the people that can teach us that the most. She endured it all to the end. By the way, I don't know if you notice, Joseph's nowhere to be found. It's like, where's dad, right? Most scholars believe that he probably died at a younger age. Most scholars believe that he probably wasn't there because he died at a younger age. In many ways, she had to face the full, like the, the full, the whole gamut of being a mom and everything that went with it. And we can learn in the face of adversity, we too can fear not. We can stand to the end. Those of you who are highly favored, which you are if you're a Christ follower. My challenge to you, is to ask God to reveal what it means for you to not fear, to reveal the source of your fear to you, and to reveal the way that you can trust him with that greatest source of fear, that most surprising place of fear, the most desperate moment of fear. Trust in him and fear not. God, I thank you for Mary. I thank you so much for her life, God, sometimes she seems so far removed from, from our struggles, and yet she may be of all of the ones in the whole story of you coming into this world. She may be the one that we can most closely relate to. And God, I pray for anyone who's in this room, anyone in the sound of my voice, maybe listening online this morning, maybe watching online. God, I pray for those who are here in this room and they're consumed with fear, fear about a certain situation, fear about a phone call that has taken place or that might take place, fear about a looming decision that they know is coming down, fear of the unknown, fear of the ridiculously known and in their face situation. And God, I pray for anyone in the sound of my voice who may be struggling with fear this morning. And God, I pray that you would help each one of us, myself included, to echo those words that Gabriel spoke to Mary. Fear not. 
God, may we take whatever it is, that very source of our fear, may we take it to you. May we bring it to the foot of the cross. And God, realize that the mom of Jesus was highly favored and she faced adversity and we will too. But we can have that same promise to fear not. God, help us in the moment of our temptation to give in to fear, to succumb to it. God, I pray that you would help us to rely on you, to stand strong in you, to have our feet firmly planted in you. And God, I pray that you would help us to realize that we will face adversity. But with you, all things are possible. Our greatest struggle, our greatest strife, it is all possible. Nothing, nothing, nothing is impossible for you, God. God, we thank you so much for the birth of Jesus. We thank you for his life. We thank you that he came to save. Help us to keep that in the forefront of our mind as we head into these last few days before Christmas. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Today as Stephanie sings, I'm gonna ask you to do something different and that is just stay seated where you are. If you wanna close your eyes and listen, if you wanna look up and look at the screens, it's gonna be some amazing images. And as they sing, I just want you to ponder that thing that is causing maybe you to be afraid today that's keeping you from God's greatest thing in your life. That seed of being highly favored, God wants to grow into something great. And as you watch the screens and you listen to these words this morning, would you just ask God to help you to deal with that greatest source of fear in your life?